Thank you, guys. Good word. First Corinthians chapter number 10. If you want to turn your Bible. Good morning. I like that. Good morning. It's a nice day out today. I feel like it's only morning. Maybe it'll get hot later. I heard it's supposed to be cool this week, though. I've heard that. That could be a lie. I don't know. I've heard it, though. Sounds good to me. I like cool. Um, before we get into it, I do want to say, I, the one of the reasons I like preaching so much is because preaching forces me to rely on the Holy Spirit. You know what I'm saying? Like, if I can study, I can write a paper. I've, I've always enjoyed public speaking but preaching is not public speaking. Pe- preaching is not writing a paper. Preaching is using the Holy Spirit um, to give the church what God, we believe God has for them. And uh, if we're not relying on the Holy Spirit, then we're not preaching. And preaching forces me to do that. Um, and many of you guys are not preachers, which is okay. But I hope that in your life you are looking for opportunities. And when they arise, taking opportunities to rely on the Holy Spirit. Because you do not know how, this is, this is going to sound very, uh, I don't know, you don't know how strong you can be, but you don't know how strong you can be when you rely on the Holy Spirit and uh, when he shows himself in you. And, uh, but if you never take the opportunities, never see the opportunities that he's given you um, to step out of your comfort zone, then you'll never see um, how strong he is in you. But I, I like preaching. I like relying on the Holy Spirit. I'm excited to get back into it this morning. 1 Corinthians 10. Um, this is a special week. There's a special week for many reasons. Number one, this is a special week because on Saturday, my daughter turns one, uh, which is really cool. A year has flown by. It's pretty crazy to think. But there's a more special reason. Um, this Saturday is, a more, is more special for a different reason. Um, Georgia football kicks off this Saturday. And I love my daughter, and I'm thankful that she's turning one, but she is not a back-to-back national champion. Um, and Georgia football is. I love uh, Georgia football. I love football. Um, love college football. Love NFL. I'm excited for all of it. But I especially love Georgia football. It's a, um, it's a special experience in my home growing up. Saturdays in the fall, it, just, it didn't matter. We were at home watching Georgia football. Now, we still did everything that we needed at church. We still took care of everything else. We still had to go to the wedding, blah, blah, blah. But when a Georgia football game was on, Nothing else mattered in our home, and that's a special, that's a special thing. Um, when I got married, uh, I, my, my wife comes from a family that does not care about sports really at all. Her, her dad likes basketball a little bit, but he doesn't really watch anything um, too much. And I tried to let her know when we were dating, like, this is a very special thing, okay? This is a very important thing. This is not just a ha-ha-ha, have the game on, but this is like we sit down, we sit up straight, you know, we don't lean back. <laughs> We put on our nice clothes. We, we watch the game. We study the game. Okay, we're, we're knowing the – I've been watching. I've been listening for months. I know all the – I know the depth chart. I can repeat it to you. I'm telling you, I'm locked in on this year's uh, going for a three-peat. It's a big deal. And uh, I locked in. My wife, Sammy, when I say, okay, so over here is how much I care. Over here is how much – she does not care at all. Okay, she does not care at all, and it hurts my feelings, if I can be honest with you. It hurts my feelings that she does not care at all. I beg her to care. Um, for years, we've been dating since uh, 2017. Um, well, we're married now, but we, were, we started dating in 20, obviously. We started, marrying a 20, we started dating in 2017, and uh, the fir- we started dating in the fall, in August of 2017. Football starts in September. I started preparing her those weeks ahead. It's coming. It's coming. She said, I don't care. I don't care. And I said, please care. And uh, I've sat her down on numerous occasions in the summertime being like, look, this is the year I need you to start caring. 
Because it's sad. It's sad when I watch it by myself. It's not sad. I still love it. Honestly, I prefer it by myself. I can be more engaged. Um, but I, I watch it by myself, and it's like, I need you to be. And now we have a daughter. I'm like, she needs to be a part of this. Okay? We need to teach her. And I can't teach her to care if you don't care. Um, but she still doesn't care. And it makes me sad. <laughs> but every now and then, I'll get her to kind of sit down and watch, you know, if I can get 30 minutes out, that's a great year. I'm talking about for the year. Um, if I can get her to sit down and watch 30 minutes. And when she watches it, football's a little confusing. You've got 22 guys on the field. It's offense, defense. It switches pretty quickly, special teams. It, it is a confusing sport to just walk up. Walk up. Basketball's pretty simple, right? You've got two guys trying to put the ball in the hoop. Um, football, there's a, some complexity to it. There's a lot of people can't touch the ball. Quarterback gets it. It's a confusing sport. When I watch football, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to... I'm moving on from the silly. It's like art. Like, I, I, it's, like it's a beautiful game that I, I want to study. It's like, it's like Picasso painting a picture, watching different people do the things they're supposed to do. I love it. When she sees football, she sees 22 people falling around on the grass. And that breaks my heart. And if you fall into her category, there's help. There's help available. <laughs> Don't waste your life not loving football. Um, but I'll say this, when she watches football, it seems like chaos, chaos. Um, when I watch football, it's art, it's art. And when, I'm not, even, I'm not even joking, I just love the game. I love watching it, I love following it, and uh, she feels the exact opposite. It's chaos. Um, in 1 Corinthians 10, there's a chaotic situation going on as well. And uh, the, the church at Corinth, if you know the story of, uh, of the church at Corinth, basically, Paul has started this church, Acts chapter 18. He starts the church at Corinth. Um, he stays there for about a year and a half, two years, gets to know people, starts a church. Um, the, the, the city's being evangelized. Things are going well. Paul leaves the church to go and continue on his missionary journeys. As we know, Paul travels around basically his entire life um, towards uh, his entire ministry, planting these churches. So he doesn't stay at them very long, about a year or two at a time, stays at Corinth, leaves, and when he leaves, the church descends into chaos, right? Because Paul was their teacher, Paul was their instructor, and when they left, they, have, they, they had other teachers come in, good teachers, they had Apollos and Peter and other guys come in and teach them, um, but they had false teachers, and basically this church um, that was a baby church full of young Christians, immature believers, um, was kind of being tossed and, and pulled around by the culture of inside the church and outside the church, and it was basically a disaster, um, inside the church. It was a chaotic situation. Paul writes 1 Corinthians to the church um, to try to bring some of this chaos back into order. And the whole book is really addressing several issues. Um, the first couple chapters, he's addressing the unity of the church. He's, uh, these other teachers have kind of come in and they've kind of picked their favorite, Apollos and Peter and Paul. They've kind of rather rallied to them rather than rallying to Jesus, um, the author of all of it. Um, there's been a lot of different... Um, Sexual immorality, they've, he's addressed that. Um, the section we're going to talk about is a lot of the dietary restrictions, right? A lot of these people are former Jews. Um, well, still Jewish people by, um, by ethnicity, but now they've left that religion, have come to Christianity. Um, so there's a lot of dietary restrictions. There's a lot of false gods present in the city, and that's what we're going to kind of talk about today. Um, it, basically, there's five major issues in the book of Corinthians that Paul is trying to take these people from a place of religious chaos into order. And I said the football illustration, I said this to, to make the point of living in chaos, living in a world where you do not know what to do, what you can and can't do, or why you're doing anything is not a world that Christians should live in. 
You guys see what I'm saying? However, many Christians find themselves in that world. Now, I don't think it's necessarily the church's fault. I don't think it's necessarily the preacher's fault. I'm sure they hold some of the blame. But I know many Christians, especially Christians who, are, who grow up in church, um, and they kind of, they're kind of starting to, it's no longer what their parents are telling them to do, but it's actually decisions they have to make. And they, they don't know what, maybe they don't know, maybe they know what they're not allowed. They know what's the difference between sin and not sin is. But when it comes to the issues of Christian liberty, when it comes to deciding day-to-day decisions, when it comes to why we, why our day-to-day decisions matter, all of it's kind of lost on them. And what happens is instead of addressing the issues, they typically either find themselves in a pew for 40, 50 years and just live life unknowing, or they walk away altogether. And to me and to Paul, that's chaotic and unnecessary because God is a God of order. God is a God that directs our steps. God is a God that cares about the everyday decisions we make, and he cares about the reason behind those decisions. So he writes 1 Corinthians for that purpose, to address these issues and to give these people purpose behind what they do. So let's read uh, 1 Corinthians 10, verse number 23. It says this, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth. Whatsoever sold in shambles that, uh, shambles that eat, asking no question for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If any of them that believe not bid you to a feast and you be disposed to go, whatsoever is set before you eat, asking no question for conscience sake. But if any man say unto you, this is offered in sacrifice unto idols, eat not for his sake that showed it, and for conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Conscience, I say, not thine own, but of the other. For why is my liberty judged of another man's conscience? For if by grace be a partaker, why am I evil spoken of? For that, for that which I give thanks. Whether therefore ye eat or drink, or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Give none offense, neither to the Jews nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. Even as I please all men in all things, not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. Be followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Let's pray, and then we will jump into it. Dear Lord, um, thank you for today. Thank you for letting us come together as a church. Lord, thank you for the, the worship through song that we've already partaken in. Lord, thank you for allowing our hearts to um, have those moments where we can show you how much you mean to us, Lord. But this next moment is just as important in showing you how much you mean to us. And that's when we allow the word of God to affect change in our hearts. Lord, help these not to be words in and out, um, and, but holy words um, spoken from your word that can mold us to be more like you. Um, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. What's going on specifically in chapter 10 is this. Um, the, the church of Corinth has these, these, um, these feasts that are sacrifices, excuse me, I'm trying to avoid certain words, the sacrifices that are made for false gods, okay? Made for false gods. And what happened is the Christians are partaking in this meat that was used for a sacrifice for false gods, and people are taking issue with it. They're taking issue with it. They're saying um, non-believers or weak believers are saying you should not be eating that meat that was offered to a false god. You're supposed to be a Christian. They're kind of living this, they believe, they're kind of casting this twofold lifestyle on them. And what this passage is saying is this. Look, all things are lawful for you to eat and drink. The gospel of Jesus Christ has done away with the Mosaic Covenant. Uh, he's done away with these strict restrictions. We're not, we are not given a list of laws. We are under the grace, the blood of Jesus. Praise the Lord. We can do, uh, we can eat what we want, we can drink what we want in the right context. And we say is this, all things are lawful for you. All things are lawful. Meaning you can eat what you want to eat. Those, those sacrificed meat, you can eat that. However, 
not all things are expedient. Not all things are helpful. Not everything builds up. So he says, although you can eat it, um, if someone with you is offended by that, don't eat it. Um, if you're conscious, whether, even though it's okay, whether, even though the meat is okay to eat, if your conscience is hindered by that, don't eat it. He says this, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, not all things are helpful. And the reality is, everything should be done to the glory of God. The thought is this. There are, we know right and wrong. Hopefully at this point in 2023, we know what is sin and what is not sin. The Bible is very clear on these things. But what I want to talk about today is this, this, this idea of good decisions versus God decisions. Good decisions versus God decisions. This is what I talk about in teens all the time. I, God has not called you to live a good life, right? We want to live good lives. We want good jobs. We want good families. We want our kids to do well in school, do well in sports, do well in college. We want good retirements. We want all those good things. And those are great good things. But God, but God has given us a life not to be lived well, but to live godly. And this is a passage for, listen, maturity. This is a passage for maturity. This is a passage for people who do not want to just do the things they're not supposed to and do the things they're supposed to, but rather do the things the best way that God's laid out for the furtherance of the gospel. Good versus God. Your decisions matter. The gospel has not just saved you, but the gospel brings a new reality in our everyday decisions. I'm preaching this message so that we can be confident in what we can and cannot do, so that we do not have to live in chaos, but rather we can live freely in Christ and for his glory. So why do we do what we do? Um, our text mentions three things that I want to talk about this morning. Uh, we'll, we'll move quickly. I, I, this isn't a super complicated sermon, but it's got a really good, it's got a really good point um, at the end. So what is, what is, why do we do what we do? Um, what defines, what influences our decisions? This text gives us three things. The first one is this. Your liberty helps define what you can do. Your Christian liberty. Liberty is the other, the other word you could use is freedom. Your freedom in Christ. Once we have Christ, we are free in Christ. And the Bible says, look, all things are lawful for us. We are given freedom. But just because we can do something, just because that we're free to do something, does not mean that we should do something. Um, I, have a, I have a confession. I love Burger King chicken fries. Love them. Now, if you've ever eaten a Burger King chicken fry, you can taste there's not much chicken going on in this situation. You know what I'm saying? There's, there's not much. I also love a mozzarella stick from Burger King with the marinara sauce. Now, it is lawful for me to eat these things. But I could eat these things every meal every day for the rest of my life. Not good for me to eat these things. Just because we can do something um, does not mean we should. Let's read verse number 23. It says, all things are law for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are law for me, but all things edify not. Verse number 25 and 26. Whatsoever is sold in the shambles in the market, the meat market, um, eat asking no question for conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. We are given liberty to do what we want. And the reality is this. Your liberty, your freedom in Christ is not defined by someone else's conscience. You know what I'm saying? Your freedom is not defined by someone else's conscience. That's, that's, that, that can be, for some of us, our background, that's hard for us to take. I grew up in a, in a very conservative um, church. I went to a very, very conservative college. And many times it's very easy to, to he, have a rule or a standard and assume that that rule or standard is from God. And it may be from God. It may be for a beneficial thing. But we very easily can confuse a rule or standard for the law that God's laid out. And the, the reality is this. 
whether someone deems that wrong or not, if the Bible is not deemed that wrong or not, it's the, all things are lawful. Your conscience does not influence my liberty. What you deem right or wrong does not influence what I deem right or wrong. The Bible is what influences our liberty. So as Greg, and then we're gonna, the, there, there, is some, there is some headway later on this passage, but Galatians 5.13 says this, For brethren, you've been called unto liberty, only not use liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. Your liberty is not defined by someone else's conscience, um, but what you, can on, what you can and cannot do is clearly defined by the word of God. So listen to this. A lot of people, we love the idea of Christian liberty. We love the idea of freedom in Christ, and we take that and we run with it, and then we find ourselves looking back, and a lot of what we're doing is clearly defined as sin in the Bible. But we started as we're free in Christ. You can't tell me what to do. Your, your decisions are not impacted by mine. Great. Praise the Lord. Your, your conscience does not influence my liberty. However, the word of God does. And when your conscience is now moved past the word of God, you find yourself in trouble. I love the idea of Christian liberty. I love that we are free in Christ. I love the grace that God has given us in this life. However, as free as we are, we are still given very clear commands of how to live. How to live. And if our freedom outweighs the gospel and the commands that we're still given, we're in a dangerous situation. Even though our, our liberty is not defined by someone else's conscience. Your liberty is never defined by someone else's conscience. But secondly, your liberty is not for you. You were not made free in Christ primarily for your sake. Look at 1 Peter 2.16. As free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. The reason you have been made free to make decisions, the reason why I, I, grew up in a, I, I grew up thinking this was not anyone's fault at my church, this was just my own confusion. I grew up thinking that every decision I made had a right or wrong answer, and if I made the wrong answer, I was outside the will of God. I grew up thinking like that. I was so desperate to be in the will of God, such small decisions stressed me out. But the, the liberty, the freedom in Christ frees us from that oppression. However, we are not freed so that we can do whatever we want, but rather we are freed so that we can serve one another and live for one another. So as great as freedom in Christ is, don't confuse it. Don't forget the fact that you are not freed just so that you can do what you want. All things are lawful, but not all things are expedient or helpful. All things are lawful, but not everything builds up. So what we should be doing, although things are free, we should only be doing the things that we're free to do when they are helpful and building up. Christian liberty is an awesome thing. The grace of God in this life is an awesome thing, but we forget that Christ did not save us just for us. Our liberty is not what can't I do, but our liberty should be what can I do that will conform me more to Christ. We are freed to make decisions, and our decisions are free to bring us closer to Christ. So yes, you're free to make decisions, but your decisions are still supposed to bring you closer to Christ. As many times we choose to be as close to the line as possible, but rather our decisions should be bringing us to as close to Christ as possible. That is why we're given liberty. God has given us all distinct personalities. He's given us distinct abilities, but he has still given us a singular goal. And that goal is the gospel. So yes, you are free. You are free to make decisions, but you are not free to change your goal. And your goal is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Your goal is to live for that in mind. So not only does liberty influence our purpose, but so does 
our conscience, our conscience. So liberty, number two, our conscience. Let's look at verse number um, 25. Whatsoever is sold in the meat markets that eat, asking no question for conscience' sake. Uh, let's skip down 28. It says, but if any man say unto you, this is offered in, in, in sacrifice unto idols, eat not for his sake that showed it, and for conscience' sake, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Conscience, I say not thine own, but of the other. For why is my liberty judged of another man's conscience? Paul is telling the Christians this. If you do not have a clean conscience, even though it's lawful, don't do it. If you do have a clean conscience, but someone with you or someone watching you does not have a clean conscience, then do not do it. Your decisions matter. And what determines your decisions, many of our decisions, is based off what our conscience says. But just because your conscience allows you to do something does not mean we should do it. Because the reality is this, our conscience is not our Christ. Your conscience is not your Christ. Um, to have a conscience is not a Christian thing. I think many times we confuse our conscience with the Holy Spirit. Just because I have a conscience, everyone has a conscience. Every human being that's ever been created has a conscience. Their conscience answers to the highest moral authority in their life that they represent. So a highest moral authority for us should be the word of God, right? That is our moral authority that defines our conscience. But everyone has a conscience. Everyone has a conscience. And your conscience is a very important thing that Paul mentions a lot. Um, and the reality is, you may have a conscience, but your conscience may not be properly informed. First Timothy 1.19 says this, Holding faith and a good conscience with some having put away concerning faith have made shipwreck. Because people have allowed their conscience to fail, they have made shipwreck of their life. That is why we need to have a good conscience. So if we're going to be basing our decisions off our conscience and off of other people's conscience, we should probably make sure that our conscience is well informed. It's well informed. For kids growing up, a lot of times their conscience is informed by what their parents have laid in front of them as rules, right? That's what defines their conscience. They know that's wrong because mama said that wrong. They know that's right because mom and dad have said that's right. But when we're no longer kids, we need something informing our conscience. But the reality is this. What is actually informing our conscience? We would love to say the word of God is what is informing our conscience to make decisions, right? Would we agree? That'd be great. However, what's informing our conscience most of the time is our culture around us rather than the word of God. And you say, well, you know, maybe you're, maybe you're not that involved in the culture. A lot of times our Christian culture is what's informing our conscience rather than the word of God. What our Christian culture has deemed right or wrong is what determines what we deem right or wrong rather than the word of God. The word of God is the center point that we must always return to. And when we stop going back there, will look up and be very far from it. Even as Christians, even as church. If we allow this room, this body of believers, to inform our conscience over the word of God, we're missing the point. We have to, it has to be, we have to be dead set on what the word of God has taught because the word of God is the only true perfect thing. We allow our culture to have stronger influence, but if we're not in the word enough or allow preaching to actually make changes in our lives, we're missing the point. As great as culture, as great as our Christian culture is, as great as the Bible Belt is, as great as Statesville, North Carolina is, it's not the word of God. And just because your friends are okay with something doesn't mean the word of God is okay with it. Just because your spouse is okay with something doesn't mean the word of God is okay with it. Just because you don't feel guilty with something doesn't mean the word of God is with it. And what happens is we refuse to inform our conscience because we're okay with the comfort that those things bring. But when we get in the word, when we allow the word to breathe life into us, we realize, oh, 
I'm actually off in this area. Oh, I'm actually off here. And in order to have that happen, what must we do? We must actually be in the word of God. If you are not in the word of God, something other than the word of God is informing your conscience. Something other than the word of God is defining your, de- your daily decisions. If you're not in the word. If when you come to church and you sit in preaching, but then the preaching is just something you sit in and you move away from, and it doesn't affect change. You don't actually take something with it, do something with it on Monday. Then something else is informing your conscience. It must be the word of God. It must be the preaching of the word of God. And it must be more often than everything else is. Because the culture's working Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, what, 10 o'clock on. It's working 24-7. And if we're not in the word of God, breathing in the word of God, breathing, living the word of God, hearing preaching, letting it affect change in our hearts, then something else is informing our culture, informing our conscience, and it's not going to lead to a good place. In fact, 1 Timothy 1.19 says it leads to shipwreck. Shipwreck. Shipwreck's bad, right? Shipwreck's bad. The Titanic? James. Bad. Not good. Well, then allow the Word of God to consistently inform your conscience. Allow the Word of God to be the center point that you consistently return to. Not only may your conscience not be properly informed, but your conscience listen, is not the only conscience that matters. Just because you're okay with something doesn't mean everyone else is okay with something. And to be a mature believer, to be someone who is living not for your own sake, but for the sake of the gospel, you will put away things that the other people are not for, for their sake. Now that's not what we want to hear. We want to hear, hey man, I'm free. Hey, I can do what I want to do. Let's look at verse number 30. Let's look at verse number 30, uh, 32. 33, excuse me. It says, even as I please all men in all things, not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. Paul says this, even as I please all men, I live to please everyone else. We don't like that. We don't preach that. Who do we live to please? God. Who do we live to please in reality? Ourselves. No one ever says we live to please everyone else. But what did Paul just say right there? I live to please all men, even as I please all men. Paul was making decisions for the sake of those around him. You say, well, I'm not Paul. Neither am I. But that's the goal, right? We're not there yet, but that's where we should be headed. And if we're comfortable not being there, and if we're comfortable not working to get there, We need to beg God to soften our hearts because that is the goal. The goal is not to live for yourself. The goal is to live for God, and to live for God most of the time is for living for the people around you for the sake of the gospel. Your conscience is not the only one that matters. He says this, if you, even though you know that the meat is okay to eat, even though you know it's not sinning, even though you know all things are lawful, but if someone else around you, a weaker brother, a lost person, does not feel the same, he says don't eat. Listen. Don't do the things that people deem wrong for their sake. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. Not all things are helpful. Not everything builds up. So as mature Christians, as people who have been in this a while, not people who just got saved, hey, I get it. If you just got saved, that's who we're talking about. But as people who have been in this a while, we've been in church for a while, we've been in the Word for a while, start living your life for the people around you rather than yourself. Because that's what Paul's calling us to do. It's not just your conscience that matters. Others as well. Inform your conscience, but then listen to others' conscience. 
for the sake of them. And listen, I know this is an unpopular thought. I know the idea of living for someone else is not what we want to hear. But listen, the gospel is worth it. The gospel's worth it. Seeing someone come to Christ because you gave up something you didn't, because you gave up something you didn't want to give up is worth it. It's worth it. You having a gospel conversation because they see it's something different in you is worth it. You bringing your kids, you say, well, church attendance isn't, you know, the Bible doesn't say we need to be in church every Sunday. Uh, it doesn't say we need to be in Awana. I get it. I get it. The Bible does say for second, not the assembly of the brothers, but the Bible does not say that you need to be in church five times a week. However, if you would humble yourself, reorganize your life, and put yourself in church, your kids would benefit from it. For the gospel's sake, you want your kids to trust Christ. You want your kids to know God. You want your kids to, to be real about this relationship with God. Well, maybe you need to rearrange your priorities in a way that shows that you're real about it for the sake of the gospel. You say, well, I don't have to do that. You don't have to do that. For the sake of the gospel, you should. For the sake of the gospel, you should probably stop going to some of those places. You say, well, it's not a, the Bible doesn't say it's a sin to go there. Maybe the Bible doesn't clearly define that it's a sin. But for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of your relationship with Jesus... Why don't we put on our big boy pants and use our brain a little bit and know that the gospel is bigger than our own pride? And they know that the gospel is bigger than our wants and our needs and our pleasure. It's worth it. We just got to experience it. It's worth it. Allow the Holy Spirit, like we talked about a second ago, allow the Holy Spirit to show you how worth it it is. So your liberty defines, your conscience defines. Thirdly, and we move um, our liberty influences and our conscience does as well. But the all-encompassing thing behind what we can do, what we should do and not do, is found in verse 31, and that is the glory of God. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Once you've been given freedom in Christ and your conscience has been properly informed by the word of God, everything we do should be done to the glory of God. The glory of God is this. Um, because we should probably define our terms. The glory of God is the public display of worth and honor to God that he is deserving of. For us to do things to the glory of God is to do things with his worth, his honor in mind. Um, for you to do all things to the glory of God is for everything to be done with the worth and honor of God as the primary purpose behind it. Um, there are some actions that are obvious, but the Bible is specific. What does he use in this example, verse 31? He says, eating and drinking. Those are minute things that we do all day long. And he says, even those things should be done to the glory of God. John Piper wrote an article years ago about drinking orange juice for the glory of God. He talked about even in, even in the minute, we should be doing it for the glory of God. And the way that we do things for the glory of God is this. Three, three things really quickly. It says this, do everything knowing that everything is a gift from God. Everything we do, partake in it, knowing that it is a gift from God. Secondly, do everything in thanksgiving to God. Not only do we know that it's a gift from God, but then we're doing everything thanking God for that gift. And then thirdly, do everything with the lost souls around you in mind. So when you're drinking that orange juice, share it for the sake of the gospel. When you're, when you're going to work, when you're working your nine to five, Work it for the sake of the gospel. The contrast of doing things for the glory of God, where we find ourselves rather, if we're supposed to do everything to the glory of God, then we're doing everything for something. And reality is, most of the time, what we're doing, our daily functions, our daily life decisions, most of the time is rather than doing them for the glory of God, we're doing them for our own pleasure. 
And our pleasure is what determines most of the things that we do. Most of our decisions, most of our um, mundane decisions, most of our big decisions, we decide them based on what brings us the most pleasure. Um, When we base our decisions on our pleasure rather than the glory of God, we're setting ourselves up for an unfulfilled, empty life as believers. Now, if you're an unbeliever and you do things for your own pleasure, it may work out for you. I'll just be honest. A lot, of, a lot of people live lives for their own sake. I'm not, I'm, I, I don't believe in the doom and gloom of men. You know, you're you're, you're going to regret it in eternity, but life on earth, you may, you may get away just fine. But the reality is, as believers, we've been saved for more than our own pleasure. We've been set aside for more than our own pleasure. And when we return to it daily, and when we let it define, and we let it determine our decisions, we're living life short of what we could. Because the ultimate everything is the glory of God, and yet we replace that with our own pleasure. But not only are we setting ourselves up for pleasure, we're setting our kids up for failure. When we teach them that pleasure is what determines our Monday, Tuesday, Monday through Saturday, when we tell them that it determines what jobs we take, um, where we go, what we do, we're setting ourselves up for failure. Suicide ideation in youth is up astronomically because we've told kids that they can that we've told them to do the things that bring them joy. Live for their heart. Listen to their heart. Live for, live for the things that they want to do. Do what you want to do. And the reality is this. That's pleasure. That's pleasure. It's short. It's empty. It's unfulfilling. But the glory of God is overwhelming. Overwhelming. It's worth it. It's worth it to forsake your own pleasure and live for the glory of God. Is it hard? Is it hard at times? Yes. Yes, let's be real. It's, it's hard to be consistent. It's hard to not fall short. It's hard to, to live every day for the glory of God. But the reality is, if God has called us to do something, it is worth doing. Some of us need to just get that through our head. If God has called us to do something, it is worth doing. If God has called us not to do something, guess what? It is worth not doing. And it may be hard. It may be hard to swallow. It may not be easy to do. But if it's called of God to do, it is worth it. So do the hard things. Live for the glory of God. Live with his honor, his worth, his praise in the forefront of your mind and forsake your pleasure. Forsake the pains of life. Forsake everything that is not of him. You know, we should be confident in what we can. Don't live in chaos. Be confident in what you can and cannot do. Yes, but be confident so that you can live for the glory of God. Forsake chaos. Follow the word of God for the gospel's sake. Know that you are free to live for the gospel's sake. This is our in conclusion. Know you're free to live for the gospel's sake. Live with an informed conscience for those around you. Building up, helping, serving those around you. And then do everything everything, not just the big. We, like, we can do the big for the glory of God. But the Bible doesn't say just do the big for the glory of God. The Bible doesn't just say do the, do the really important life decisions for the glory of God. No, it says do everything to the glory of God. Knowing that everything is a gift from God and thanksgiving to God and with those who do not belong to God in mind. Do it for the glory of God. Because the reality is it's worth it. And that's not a Colin Stansel because I'm 24. I don't know what's worth it, but the word of God does. And I'm happy, happy, happy to trust him over my own personal experience. Happy to trust his word over what I feel. Because what I feel changes every day. 
his word does not. So allow it to inform us consistently. Let's pray. Bow your head and close your eyes. Please stand. The reality is that the word of God has been preached, whether it was good or not, it's been preached. And every time the word of God is preached, you are left with a fork in the road to either listen to the word of God or to reject it. And I'm not saying you have to come to the altar to to make that decision, but I am saying this. Are you going to live today for the glory of God? Some of you need to make that decision. Some of you need to make the decision of what the Bible says matters. Because if you don't believe that what the Bible says matters, none of this other stuff, we got to start there. What the Word of God says matters.